Amen. Good morning. Well, so good to be with you this morning. What a privilege it is to uh, be able to share with Brother Jeff in the building, which is awesome that he would give up an opportunity uh, to allow me to share this morning. I am so excited about that. And uh, before we get started, I want to introduce you to a couple of uh, guys. They're not in the building in here right now. They're all over the building. But it's a couple of guys that have, have joined alongside me to help us uh, continue to do our mission of, of leading students to live out what matters most. And so uh, Kyle McCracken is uh, working with our youth right now, and he is doing an amazing job. The name may sound familiar because his wife is doing our children's ministry here at Parkway. And uh, Kyle is a student at Southeastern uh, Seminary, and he's doing a phenomenal job with our youth. Chase Harvey is uh, helping me out working with college students, and uh, he's got every idea under the sun on how to reach new college students. And I can't wait to hone all those in and see how God uses him to continue to reach uh, people that aren't here yet. And so it's exciting times in student ministry. Uh, today it is, uh, we're continuing our Who's Your One emphasis. And uh, we're uh, continuing to look at the week of prayer uh, for North American missions. And so today it's, it's our privilege for you to hear from a few former members of Parkway Baptist Church, hear their stories and hear about how they got involved in North American missions. So let's listen. Hey Parkway Baptist Church, my name is Julie Redmond Donovan. I was at Parkway Baptist Church when I was two months old to when I was four years old, and my parents moved back to Parkway in 2013. Parkway holds a special place in my heart because it is where I was dedicated as a baby and later married my husband, Connor. I served with the North American Mission Board in the summer of 2011 in Hawaii at a church called Palisades Baptist Church as their youth minister. The biggest thing I learned from serving in Hawaii was that people lived in what the world called paradise, but there were so many people who were broken. My experience with Nam has shown me how to point people to the true paradise, which is spending eternity in heaven with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now I'm a children's and preschool minister in Birmingham at North Shelby Baptist Church. If you can, please pray that God will continue to work in the lives of the children at our church and that they will know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for your prayers and your encouragement to me and to the North American Mission Board. Hey Parkway Baptist Church, my name is Lindsay Allen and this is my husband Derek. We attended Parkway when we were in college at Auburn. I now only attended a few times, mostly went back to my home church, but Lindsay, you attended a little more than that. I did. I was a member there during 2002 and 2003 during my time on campus at Auburn. And I would have been there in the late 90s, uh, 1998 and 1999. And we served as missionaries with the North American Mission Board in Miami, Florida. And so some of you actually came and visited us on mission trips in Miami, Florida. Uh, we served there uh, until about two years ago, and then we transitioned to serve in Mobile, Alabama. So I serve as a pastor, uh, the pastor at First Baptist Church of Tillman's Corner. Uh, so Lindsay, why don't you tell a little bit about how Parkway invested in us even while we were serving in Miami? 
when we were in Miami, we planted a church called Christ Center Church. And during that time, there was a lot of heavy footwork that needed to be done as far as servant evangelism and getting word out into the community about the new church. And so Parkway came and served alongside of us in that way. They were partners with us in the gospel and sharing the gospel with our neighbors and our community and just serving really in any way that we needed them while they were there as far as even supporting us in prayer and in financial support. And we can't say thank you enough for that. And we pray that the Lord will continue to use Parkway, not only to reach people in the Auburn community, but to send people out all across North America and all around the world. Uh, we want you to pray for us as we serve in a role in an established church that we can mobilize people to share the gospel just like you have. Aloha Parkway family. My name is Kaylin Reynolds and I attended Parkway from 2013 to 2016 while I was at Auburn University. I want to say thank you very much for your support of my ministry and Pacific House of Missions ministry out here in the Pacific with military families. During this time of COVID, there were a lot of questions of if ministry could happen or what would ministry look like? And I've seen how God has been faithful through all of the questions, answering them and daring us to be creative with the way we handle ministry so that we can be fruitful in a time where there are a ton of questions. I'm so very thankful that Parkway, when I was in college, equipped me to be the person I needed to be as I came out here to do ministry. The college program really helped me see how I could be involved in ministry and how I could take up the call that God called me to. Um, not only that, but the love and encouragement of Parkway members towards me as a college student really helped me see the kind of person that I could be and the kind of person I was. I'm so very thankful that I was able to be involved in this church and that this church helped make me who I needed to be out here. Words can't say enough to say how thankful I am for your prayers and your support. I ask that you continue to pray for me and this ministry as we continue to build community in the Pacific with the war fighting families who are stationed here. Aloha. It's, uh, it's incredible to think that Parkway has had uh, 50 years of opportunity to, to serve on the North American mission field and, and even just watching the first video. Uh, we've only been here for eight plus years at Parkway, but I was, uh, I'm privileged to have gone on uh, some of those trips and I was able to see each of my four children in those pictures and know that they were a part of North American missions and it was just uh, it was hard to hold it together back there just thinking about how God's faithfulness has been uh, on Parkway Baptist Church and our opportunities to reach out. And we're not done yet, which is great. We have another uh, long time ahead of us. But if I was sitting uh, where you were sitting and watching what I was watching uh, a long time ago, uh, I would have been thinking maybe what you're thinking now. Uh, and maybe it's, oh, I'm so glad that they are doing that. I'm so glad that God called them 
to do that. Because some of you sitting in the room would go, I would rather die than stand up and speak publicly anywhere. And that was my thought growing up. Oh, I, you know, I'd rather die than have to speak out or speak up. And uh, I've drawn this conclusion about that thought. Um, it's better to give than receive, especially when it comes to eulogies. Okay? Uh, you don't, that's not what you want to do. It's okay. You have a voice and God wants to use it. Um, and if, if that's your thought today, I've got some really bad news for you. Um, and it's this. You're a missionary. Where do you live? You live in North America. Uh, matter of fact, you live in Auburn, Alabama. And looking on Auburn University's website, uh, looking at the international students they hear, they represent over 100 countries right here in our city. Right here, a mile and a half from Parkway Baptist Church, a hundred countries. Not only that, there's 160 plus thousand people in Lee County. Not only that, there are churches in the east that are sending missionaries to North America because they're worried about Christianity here. They're like, America's in trouble. We've got to go. We've got to go share the good news. And so you are a missionary and you're on mission and the mission is simple. It's to, to reach new people and offer them new life and next steps found in Jesus. That's it, plain and simple. You're a missionary. You have a mission. But I'll do you one better. And maybe this will scare you to death. You're not only a missionary, you're an evangelist. Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, I am an evangelist. Now turn to your neighbor and say it like you mean it. I am an evangelist. Go for it. There you go. I'm not talking about the slick back hair, white suit, slap them on the forehead and go, that's not what we're talking about here. Evangelism in its most uh, simple form when it comes to Christianity is just sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But if we boil it down even more, evangelism is simply sharing good news as an advocate for a cause. And many people, when they hear the word evangelism, they come up with all these reasons why they can't do it or excuses. Maybe that's where they move to. We're going to talk about three of those. And maybe instead of them being reasons or excuses, I believe they're myths. Because you say these are why you can't do it, but I think you do it all the time. First reason. I don't know how. Wait a second. Facebook would beg to differ. You know how to share good news. Um, you do it all the time on social media. I mean, matter of fact, let's see. Uh, Mr. John, happy birthday. I saw that on Facebook today. That's, that's good news, man. We're an advocate for birthdays. So happy birthday to Mr. John. Um, it is baseball, soccer, and, and, and uh, golf season. All the future professionals. I can see their pictures on Facebook. And man, it's awesome. Um, two words. You may not know what this. It'll mean a whole lot more in the next service. But burn nutrition. I don't know what they're feeding the people at that place. It looks like antifreeze, but the people, they swear by it. But all the food pictures that are on there, um, spring break travel pictures will be hitting uh, Facebook really, really soon. New babies. Come on, somebody. The Conways, the, the King family, uh, we know how to share good news. So it's, that's a myth. You know how to share good news. You can do it. The next myth is I've had a bad experience. Maybe you, you tried to do evangelism and, and, uh, and you had a bad experience. Maybe the door was slammed in your face. Maybe someone yelled at you. Maybe, uh, you know, you, they asked a question that you didn't know the answer to and you just had this bad experience. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in the room ever had a bad, bad haircut? <laughs> yes, is the answer. Uh, there you go. Uh, or maybe in need of a haircut, no. Um, <laughs> 
I'm not talking about a bedhead. Um, <laughs> have you had a bad haircut? Did, did that, that point you go, you know what? I had a bad experience at the barbershop. I'm never going back. No. You, you, you live with it, okay? You got to own the bad haircut. But then you learn and you move on. And so uh, don't let that be. It's a myth that you have a bad experience. You can't do it anymore. You have a bad experience. You live with it. You learn and you move on. Last one. I don't know enough. This is probably the biggest myth of all. Because how many of you maybe stood right here on this stage facing your spouse before he or she was your spouse and was prepared to say, I do. Did you know enough then? Mm -mm. How about this? Um, did you know enough before you drove away from the hospital when they handed you a new human and said, good luck? Absolutely not. You didn't know enough. And many of you have handed keys to 16-year-olds. Did they know enough to drive that vehicle when you handed over the keys? No. Don't let the myth of I don't know enough stop you from sharing good news. And hey, I'm going to give you an out. If you feel like you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know. But I'll find out the answer for you. That is a viable excuse. Not an excuse, but a viable answer to someone's question. Uh, Barna did uh, some research. Barna Research Group. And they did a survey of uh, generational differences in faith sharing. And uh, they stumbled upon an unexpected conclusion. And maybe it's the real excuse why our faith isn't being shared now. Um, the first slide is, uh, it shows, sorry, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. Off the charts. So this is uh, the, the elder generation, the boomers, uh, Gen X, and then the millennials, okay? So right there, everybody believes Part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. Everybody else also off the charts, 97, 97, 94. The best thing that could happen, ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. All right? So we're all on the same page there. When someone raises questions about faith, I know how to respond. General survey, almost 90% of the people said, absolutely. I know how to respond to their questions. Some 56 to 73 percent said, I am gifted at sharing my faith with other people. So looking at their survey, you're going, okay, this is good news. People believe it's right to share their faith. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is to, to give their lives to Jesus. Um, I know how to answer their questions. I'm gifted in sharing their faith. And then there was this response. It is wrong to share someone's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Almost 50% of our 18-year-olds and up there are not saying that I don't know how, or I don't know enough, or I've had a bad experience, but that they believe in their heart of hearts that it's wrong to share the good news. That's scary. But this is us. One in five, 75 and up. One in five, my generation, one in four, believe it's wrong to share 
good news about Jesus Christ. Even though they know they're ready, even though they know it's the best thing ever, even though they're prepared, they believe that it's wrong to share your faith. Now, we know how we react in the room to that. And we're followers of Jesus Christ. We know how we react. But what if we could ask someone that's not a believer? What if we could ask someone that's not a Christian and say, what do you think about this statement? What if we could ask and say, what's your response to this? Well, a few years back, uh, a guy by the name of Penn Jillette uh, recorded basically a video. He has his phone out and is just recording about a three-minute video. And it fits perfect to this response. If you don't know who Penn Jillette is, you may recognize his face. He's half of the magic comedy duo of Penn and Teller. He's the one that talks. And so uh, he's going to share with you. And for those of you who may not know, he's a, a very devout, outspoken, unapologetic atheist. And so let's see how he responds to thinking, is it wrong for people to share their faith? I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And, um... He had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. 
he was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I... Did you catch that? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? Now, if I were to ask the room uh, right now, just a quick survey, anybody in the room hate people? Good. 100% in the room said, no, we don't hate people. And as followers of Jesus, we don't hate people. That is not our intent. But we also, we don't share our faith. So we want to figure out what's, what's, the, what's the gap between that. And let's see if we can shrink that gap to a place where we can continue to, to do what we've been called to do as missionaries and as evangelists. Jesus said uh, this way. He says that, hey, a new command I give to you. Not hate, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's found in John 13, verse 34. And it's, it's funny to read this verse and think, well, how can Jesus command me to feel something? I mean, isn't love an emotion? How can Jesus command an emotion? But maybe he's not commanding an emotion. Maybe he's not commanding a feeling. Maybe love is something different here. Maybe love is a decision. Maybe love is an action. Maybe love is something you do until it's something you feel. And so Jesus is saying, he doesn't just say love one another. That'd be enough. But he says, as I have loved you. Jesus made conscious decisions to love us. And it led him to the cross. And even that action wasn't too big to express his love for each one of us in the room. So Jesus has taught us that we need to love one another. And that is, that is a huge, huge thing to kind of grasp hold of. Um, I always kind of recommend the book, and I'm going to recommend the book again today because it leads us to a question. Um, book by Andy Stanley. It's a very small book, easy read, better decisions, fewer regrets. And Again, if we're talking about that love is the decision, he gives us a question that will drive the rest of our time together. And so that question is this. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? If Jesus says that we're to love one another, and not just love one another, but we're to love one another as he has loved us, so what does love require of me, especially when it comes to evangelism, especially when it comes to sharing the good news? What does love require of me? We're going to answer that question from a passage of Scripture found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your iPads or however you're going to look up God's Word this morning, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
And uh, Paul is, is, is writing to the church. And here he, he shares some insights that I believe answer this question. If we were to go, okay, what does love require of me? We can read these few verses and see what love requires of each of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 14. If you don't have it, we'll have it on the screen up here. And this is what verse 14 says. For Christ's love compels us. Because we're not convinced that one died for all. and Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all died. Again, what compels us to share the good news? Christ's love compels us. This is huge. In our college ministry, since January, we've walked through two different series. One on spiritual disciplines. Another one on self-worth and how our self-worth impacts our love for others. And we, we drew a conclusion around this statement that, that you don't do because of right and wrong. You do things out of love. And the way that we kind of see that is, you know what, when, when I go to Chick-fil-A, I know what's right. The market salad in a, in a Diet Dr. Pepper is right, no doubt. But when you see my order history, it is a 12-count nugget, a large fry, and a Diet Dr. Pepper. All right? I know what's right, but I know what I love. And I love Chick-fil-A nuggets and waffle fries. That same goes for exercise. I mean, all of us know that we should exercise. And we know it's right. But I love sleeping in my bed under the warm covers and not waking up early to do that. We don't do things because they're right or wrong. Paul knew that. He's not, he didn't say, for it is right. He said, Christ's love compels us. If we're ever going to become people that share the good news, it has got to be out of an expression. It has to be an action of love. He continues on. He says, and, and he died, Jesus, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Some of us are kind of in self-preservation mode when it comes to evangelism. You know, we talked about that earlier. And Jesus said, I mean, Paul says that if, if Christ's love compels you, if you've surrendered your life to him, you're no longer living for yourselves. You're living for him. How did he live his life? He lived it for others. He continues on. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul says that, that the people that grew up around Jesus, they, they, they looked at Jesus as worldly. I mean, that's, you, know, you can look back in, in the Gospels and they would go, wait, isn't this Mary and Joseph's son, isn't this the son of a carpenter? I mean, he's, he's a good teacher and all. And, and then some, some around him were saying he's Elijah or he's Moses. And they looked at him from a worldly point of view. But when he died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he rose again, you no longer looked at Jesus from a worldly point of view. That event changed everything. It changed everything. And when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you can no longer 
regard anyone from a worldly point of view because you don't just look at them and go, oh, you're, you're born, you live, you die, okay. You know better. You know that someone is born and they live a life on this earth and it matters. The decisions that they make here matter. And you don't see them from a worldly point of view. You see them from an eternal point of view. We tell our students all the time, every person that you're sitting in a classroom with, that you lock eyes with, that you eat at the lunch table with, every single person spends eternity somewhere. You can't look at them from a worldly point of view. You have to look at them through the eyes of Christ. And he sees them as eternal beings that will move from this life ever so briefly into eternity. Continues on. And this is the verse maybe you know. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. We're all new creations. If we surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, as you share the good news, you're hoping that people will surrender to that message and become new creations on their own. Um, and it says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. What is this ministry of reconciliation? I'm glad you asked. Keep reading. He says, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What's the, the ministry of reconciliation? It's a message. What's the, the ministry of reconciliation? It is a message of reconciliation. Last verse, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents their home land, their home turf on foreign soil. Once you surrendered your, your life to Jesus Christ, you realize that this is not your home. One day we'll go and spend eternity with God and that will be your home. But until you leave here, you're an ambassador. You're representing your home. And as you represent that home, you've been given a ministry. And that ministry is simply a message. What's the message? We implore you on Christ's behalf. Jesus is not going to show up physically and, and tell you this message but he sent me, and I'm imploring you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The words that, that are used there in that passage of Scripture, um, it, it's Paul saying, I'm, I'm not too proud to beg. I mean, I'll get down. If it helps, I will get on my hands, and I will get on my knees, and I will say, please, would you please consider be reconciled with God I am not too proud to humble myself and get down and beg you. Will you please consider being reconciled to God? Because Christ's love is what's driving this. What does it mean to be reconciled with God? We don't use checkbooks too much anymore. I mean, I can't remember the last time I even looked at my banking statement. Sorry, I shouldn't say that out loud. But um, balance sheets, we, we work for those. We have budgets. They've got a balance at the end of the day, right? 
And you reconcile those things so that they balance. To be reconciled with God, your ledger is out of balance without Jesus. The sin that's in your life and the holiness of God, they don't match up. And it's not something that's on God's side. It's on your side. The sin, the mistakes, the knowingly doing things that are against the law of God and the commands of God and just the holiness of God, your ledger's out of balance. And the only person that can reconcile that is Jesus Christ. And if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you've been entrusted with a ministry that just comes with a message. And the message is simple. I beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So when we think and we ask the question, um, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? It's simple. Love requires a conversation. Love requires a conversation. Love requires a conversation. Notice that I didn't say that love requires reconciliation. I didn't say love requires conversion. I didn't say love requires transformation. But when we ask ourselves, what does love require of me when it comes to evangelism? Love requires a conversation. Because the conversation has been entrusted to you. It's been entrusted to me. The reconciliation and the conversion and the transformation, that's all in God's hands. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, Ezekiel speaking to the people of Israel about a message from God, and he says this, it says, on God's behalf, he's saying, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In the conversation, the I is not you, and the I is not me, the I is God. What does love require of me? It requires a conversation. What does it require from God? Everything else. I'll have the conversation and I'll trust God with everything else. Guys, can you imagine what it would look like if we just trusted God in this? That he's given us this ministry of reconciliation and the ministry is a message And we're like, you know what? Love does require us to have a conversation. What if we just started right here? I mean, just right here with this one person that many of us put up on the steps. I wrote some of the names down. They've been sitting up here the whole time and just thinking, as you communicate, Bobby, today, these people's lives may hang in the balance. Not their life here on earth, but their eternity. What if we started here and we just had a conversation You don't need to know enough. Don't have to worry about your bad experiences. You know how. I beg you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled with God. What if we started here and imagine the lives that are changed here and say that this person right here, you you shared with them and, and they took up the message. 
And they thought, you know what, who's somebody that I could share with? And then they shared, and, and that person received Jesus, and, and they shared with someone else. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your obedience to this calling of evangelism, of sharing good news, of simply having a conversation. God does, and he wants to use you. You have the conversation. You trust God for everything else. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for everything that you do in our lives. And God, we just, we humbly come before you today and we give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory from 50 years of service in North American missions. But God, our work is not finished. And those of us that have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we're missionaries, we're evangelists, we're sharers of good news of Jesus. And Father, I pray for every person that's in this room. I pray for every person that's watching us online. God, I pray that, that you would give them boldness. God, that you would, you would move them to simply have a conversation, all the while trusting you, God, to do everything else. Father, thank you for entrusting the message of Christ to us. Help us to be faithful and carrying it everywhere we go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.